0: In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Beginning with verse 7, the Apostle Paul visits the city of Troas and delivers a sermon to the believers on the first day of the week. But during his extended preaching session, a young man named Eutychus falls from a window and is killed. But Paul miraculously revives him. Then, sensing his imminent departure, Paul addresses the Ephesian elders, stressing his dedicated ministry and warning them against false teaching. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Wednesday, August 23rd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at LHFMissions, that's plural, missions.org. But for this morning, as we dig into Acts chapter 20, I'm pleased to uh, welcome back to the show the Reverend Dr. Wernon Vent, uh, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lexington, Kentucky. He's also the missionary at large in Richmond, Kentucky. Uh, pastor Wint, I kind of made it German there for a moment, Vent. but welcome back to the program. <laughs>
1: Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm closer to you right now. I'm doing an uh, interim me- pastor in uh, Moundsview, Minnesota, so I'm uh, oh, so longer in so, Kentucky right now. Yeah.
0: So you're not in Kentucky right now. Well, tell us where you're at, and what what what's the Lord in, doing uh, with Mounds you View in Minnesota? Minnesota.
1: Uh, yeah, sorry, I, I've been uh, serving a in cancel interim um, since May here at Messiah Lutheran Church in Moundsview, uh, Lutheran Church and in Preschool, in, uh, uh, outside of uh, St. Paul area. All right, yeah, that's um, where I've been. Um enjoying the nice Minnesota weather today, too.
0: Oh, excellent. Well, good, good. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be warm today, but not as warm as our friends down in St. Louis. I think they have it rougher than we do. Uh, but, right. Go. Well, good. So you've been there since May. Well, I didn't know that. I'm sorry for that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I tell well, you what, why don't
1: we... I've blessed the time in Kentucky and uh, as, uh, planted some seeds there, and my students are wonderful. i got three, three students that... Uh, one's enrolled in the seminary right now, some are Greek, and uh, two are on their way, and so... I was a blessing some immigrants that are being baptized, so uh, just water, place that water and move on, yeah. So, Excellent. Well, thank you, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we start our time together in prayer then, and then we'll get started. Sure. Go ahead. Sure. Okay. Let's begin, um, uh,
1: say a prayer in remembrance for our baptism today, the Lutheran service book. Gracious Lord, we give thanks that in holy baptism we receive forgiveness of sins, deliverance from death and the devil, and eternal salvation. Bless us continually by your word and spirit, that we may faithfully keep the covenant into which we have been called boldly. Confess our Savior, and finally share with all your saints the joys of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.
0: Amen, brother. Well, as we've been making our way through Acts, lots of lots of pretty exciting things have been happening to Paul and his companions. Today, uh, he finds himself, well, we begin anyway, with a pretty... I guess, a humorous story, but, but one that introduces uh, the the events that are going to follow in a pretty dramatic way. But before we get into Eutychus defenestrating himself, why don't we catch the folks up? Where have we been so that we can know how we got here?
1: Yeah, we're, uh, Paul's in the midst of his third missionary journey and uh, going through uh, different parts of uh, Macedonia to um, collect money for the Church in Jerusalem, and he's uh, as you will find out later on. The study he's really led by the Holy Spirit. Everywhere he's going, he's making sure he's being led by the Holy Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit's uh, leading me and prompting me, um, including that stop uh, where he gets to raise Eutychus. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Um, so um, I, I love how he, he is sensitive to the Holy Spirit because really that's what we're all about, you know, and, and proclaiming Jesus and Empowered by the Holy Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit.
0: Well, amen to that. So, well, why don't we go ahead and catch up with Paul then, where he's at in the city of Troas. I'm going to read, uh, let's see here. You know what? Might as well read from the top of chapter 20. We covered these first few verses uh, yesterday, but might as well read it anyway. So, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, uh, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, and Tychius, and Trophimus. These went on ahead and waiting, were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. All right, now our text. On yep. the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. All right, let's let's uh, let's just pause right there at the end of 12. So, uh, yeah, so he preaches so long, Eutychus falls asleep and is picked up dead. That's, uh, that's always been a tongue-in-cheek uh, passage of comfort for us pastors who may have put people to sleep at least once or twice. Exactly, yes. <laughs>
1: We weren't weren't compromised that all the time when they're taking notes. Don't fall asleep. Um, but uh, I, I love also. Um, it, it's kind of you know not that uh, we're putting people to death physically, but spiritually through the law, we're putting people to death uh, when we tell them you know, you're a sinner, and uh, they, they bury that old sinful nature and raise new life in Christ. So it really is when we preach a sermon where you really are raising people from the dead, and uh, who are being slayed by the law. And uh, so there's there's a good illustration for that for all our preachers. And yes, we take comfort when people are falling asleep in the midst of our sermon. Paul had the same situation, uh, the old missionary hymn, If You Cannot Preach Like Paul. Well, um, maybe we shouldn't preach like, no. <laughs> but I, I I think Paul was so excited. You see, there's the a combination of things going on. Paul was so excited to share the faith uh, with of people there. Uh you can see his zeal. I mean just he's talking all night long. I gotta tell you that's I gotta tell you more. I gotta tell you more. You can picture him and the people are receiving him. But uh Eutychus is a young man and not only can picture this room being relatively hot. He's up on the third floor window. They got these lamps burning and uh uh bam he falls down and he Luke doesn't go into detail as a doctor if he broke his bone but he definitely was dead. And um we also have a relationship not only that uh the Apostle Peter, of course, raised uh, some from the dead, but uh, this uh, imagery is, can be seen in the Old Testament with the prophets Elisha and Elisha uh, when they also raised uh, people from the dead and, and fell on them and breathed on them as well. So a lot of uh, imagery there that comes forth in this passage.
0: Yeah, and that's an interesting phrase anyway. Paul, uh, you know, before he goes down there, they said that he was taken up dead or picked up dead. Uh, You know, we aren't to believe that Paul just went down there and gave them a second opinion and said, oh, no, wait a minute. Never mind. Don't be alarmed. His life is in him. We we do take this as a, a miracle by God through Paul. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, And, of course, Duke, Luke uh, being a doctor, you writing the book of Acts, and he definitely is dead, yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. I forgot yeah. that uh, Luke is the one narrating this. He would have known the difference, and he was there. Right, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, and so they do. They, he says, don't be alarmed. His life is in him. And then it says, when he had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a while. So tell us about this breaking of bread. Now, is, is this the Lord's Supper? Is this just eating a meal with them? Um, how, how do text, we understand that? Because yeah, it says at verse good, 7 that they right. gathered together to break bread.
1: Yeah, contextually, uh, I'm reading that verse 7 is more the Lord's Supper, and later on um, they're having fellowship over a, a meal later on. So it's not the Lord's Supper, per se, that they're, the, these verses are talking about. But it's a, a midnight meal. Um, that's what I, I read in that area.
0: Well, let's keep on going, starting with verse 13. Yeah. But let's going up, ahead yeah. to the ship, we set sail for Essos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Essos, we took him on board and went to uh, Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following uh, day opposite Chios. Uh, The next day, we touched at Samos, and the day after, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost so so luke just sort of hammers through all the different little uh, ports of call that they made mm-hmm. uh, paul is booking it back to jerusalem it seems to make it by pentecost
1: yeah yeah and and if he would have stopped in ephesus uh, more than likely he would have been delayed uh, with all the people he knew there and
0: um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Was, and and not only that, but you know he had spent so much time there. And I, I think the last time he was there, it was a little bit of a commotion. So maybe there's yeah. a couple of reasons yeah. why popping into Ephesus wasn't exactly a, a good time to do that. If he's trying to make yeah, it back yeah. to Jerusalem.
1: Yeah. So, and yeah, timeline. Yeah, determined to get there by Pentecost.
0: Excellent. So, as we're looking through this, what else can we learn from from this whole story? You know, I I don't want to move just yet because he's going to talk to the Ephesian elders. But just as we go through this, you know, Paul is making his way to Jerusalem, but he's taking time to stop at not all of them, but some of these ports of call. Uh, It it makes me wonder that if if Paul's there, he's probably doing the work of the Lord, continuing to spread the message. Um, The the Holy Spirit really is taking him from place to place to place. Uh, he is such mm-hmm. a schedule, it's just kind of hard to imagine what what life must be like for Paul.
1: Yeah, the zeal of Paul is just, I mean, it so comes out in these passages. As you study these passages, it's just uh, amazing um, how zealous he was. And even though, as you recall, when he comes to people and, he, and they're expecting that he's a powerful person, and he's, they're disappointed in his appearance, somehow that's the Holy Spirit, and I think Paul— brings it all off and you know in my weakness christ is strong and the zeal that he has for the gospel no matter what hardship he has to go no matter lack of sleep he's preaching all night long he's going to these cities um we all get tired of course and even jesus says come away and rest for a while and that's the temptation maybe that we as pastors have we either work too much or we, we don't balance our schedules much but he's definitely being led by the holy spirit that's clear in these passages to go to these different places, and I'm not an expert in geography, so um, you got to help me on this sometimes. I look at those different cities, and <laughs> it's like, okay. Uh, but Luke, these are these are valid places, and that's another thing about the validity of the book of Acts, is it, um it authenticizes itself just by history, and also, of course, by the Holy Spirit.
0: Why do you think Paul is wanting to get back to Jerusalem for Pentecost? Uh, obviously, to celebrate in the Christian manner, with his fellow Christians, not necessarily the Jewish festival of Pentecost. All the timing's going to be the same. Well, why is he trying to make it back for that?
1: That's a very good question. I I, I see a couple of reasons. Number one, um, the he sees a big picture here of the unity of the church with the Gentiles and the Church of Jerusalem, and so the offering is being uh, given to the Church of Jerusalem, and he's taking Gentile uh, followers with him. And I think he sees this uh, as a message to all, especially on Pentecost, no doubt, where the Holy Spirit, you know, it's a reversal of the Tower of Babel, where people are given the gifts of different languages to share the gospel, and uh, the gospel is spread out throughout the world, literally, uh, as a result of Pentecost. So that's what um, I see. That it's, it's a really big celebration, not only uh, in his mind, uh, for bringing an offering from the Gentiles, but also as a very significant date on a church, you know, calendar to celebrate. Hey, we're all one in Christ.
0: Yeah, I imagine that as he's coming to the end of his third missionary journey to be able to make it back to. I mean, because that's all started off by, you know, Pentecost and what happened there. So to make it back before that Pentecost is celebrated, I guess it would be around fifty seven A.D. But to make it back and end his his third journey uh, with this celebration would, would probably have some symbolic and encouraging aspects to it too, to be able to come back yep. and announce the completion of all the tremendous work that Christ is doing to build his church. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, he's on his way back. He's trying to kind of be pretty quick about it, not wanting to hang out in uh, Ephesus. However, he does summon some of the elders of the Ephesian church to meet with him. Um, We get into that in this next section. We're going to go ahead and read that, starting with verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, uh, uh, pardon me, that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself, if only I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom... Pardon me. I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. All right. So uh, besides me messing it up a little bit there, we we have him sensing either by revelation of the Holy Spirit or just he's putting the pieces together that he's probably not coming back from Jerusalem. Either I guess he's afraid something's going to happen to him there or he just doesn't plan on returning to them again. But either way, he's letting them know you're not going to see me again take us through what he's doing yeah well paul
1: definitely he's aware of the persecution that awaits him um or as you said either uh by just common sense because that's what it means to be a christian especially uh when you're serving in a counterculture place and that's antagonist to the gospel and um he really is convinced this could be the last time i'm gonna see you so he's you can see the emotions Really, in you know, all these verses, just uh, his passion and his love, also in his desire to equip the elders and anoint them, and uh, just really um, on this dog day of uh, August, uh, it's a really good passage to look at. The zeal that Paul has uh, for the for the for the church, uh, for Christ, for the gospel, and he just says, I you know, I'm I'm no value. I I just want to be used by God, basically. That's all he's saying.
0: Well, absolutely I mean he he says that his the purpose of his life is to proclaim the gospel so he's not afraid of what might be waiting for him in Jerusalem, but at the same time, of course um, it's a reminder to us that proclaiming the gospel, you know we think about all the ways in which we meet resistance as we go out into the world and proclaim the gospel to a world that doesn't want to follow after christ but and I was just talking about this with my Wednesday morning Bible study today you know but really have things changed all that much i mean we christians have been accustomed to kind of running the show at least here in the united states for you know for you decades see. and now it just feels like we're the world is turned upside down but really it's not turned upside down it's always been uh the the, the church against a not against but you know actually the church is for the dying world and we meet resistance from them they're against us but you but you see yeah. that though right this is not new we see in paul's experience exactly uh what we experience today
1: nothing new right and that that's uh fact one of my bible students said so they also said something similar so, you know
0: pastor said even though
1: um maybe the church was, the culture was more church friendly back in the day were people really here for that you know, the gospel are they here to because that's what they're expected to do. And so, uh, maybe that we have to, um, you know, authenticize and go, drive ourselves back to our baptismal roots, who we are in Christ and what we're all about, as Paul clearly says. <laughs> you know, my life is in Christ's hands. I'm here to point people to Jesus. Obviously, we have other vocations in life, whether you're a father or mother and so forth, but ultimately, our life is in God's hands. That's we we commit ourselves to that. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, you know, we've gone from picking up Eutychus dead and that connection to how, through really every sermon, it should be killing the old Adam through the law and hopefully raising them back to new life with the gospel. But then he goes from this dramatic scenario where he's trying to get all this stuff in, someone literally loses their life, but he restores it, to now he's hopping from city to city to city. He's called these Ephesian elders. Tell us a little bit about the relationship he had with them, right? So, why, in mm-hmm. all of the things that are going on, I mean, that's just so much for him to digest and understand. He wants to avoid Ephesus, but he doesn't want to miss talking to those church elders. Uh, why? What's so special about them?
1: Well, he sees them as the the future of the church. Really, these are the these are the pastors. These are the the overseers that are going to be uh, equipped for the gospel. Uh, he knows that when he. Departs from life, um, just as we are in that. I don't know how old you are. I'm 59. I'll be 59 November, and I was. We have some. I've been blessed to work with uh, pre seminarians or seminarians. I got a pre seminary in my church, and I said, well, I hope the sins of the fathers won't be passed on to you, because we want to um, lead that legacy, the purity of the gospel that we have received that next generation, and they're dealing with all kinds of things, um, as we are well aware of, just as we dealt with things in our generation. And I'm thankful for the people that pass that faith on to me and our generation.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and so we see Paul, he continues to struggle against the world, but he continues to walk inspired by the Holy Spirit, he has the true message. He's not afraid of what's coming, but he also recognized the reality that something uh, something is coming. And so mm-hmm. when he's talking to these church elders, he says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I sat with all humility and tears. Sometimes Paul comes across as, um, and maybe it's just my own cynicism, but sometimes he comes across as, You remember how amazingly humble I was, Right. <laughs> you, you you remember how uh, how I did such a great job enduring trials. I'm not like one of those super apostles that got everything made. I mean, he sometimes, he has to, I, I guess for lack of a better word, he has to sort of toot his own horn because no one else is giving him any credit for anything, and some of that mm-hmm. is giving credence to his message. Um, I, mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like that's the life of a pastor or even the life of a Christian. How much do we do? How much do we endure and we obviously don't want to go and parade ourselves around. That's not the point. But at the same time, it feels kind of lonely being on the recipient, uh, being the recipient of all these different trials. You know, you hear people sure. say, "Well, the Lord only gives you what you can handle." It's like, well, I wish you didn't think I was so strong. You know, um, how how do how do we connect with Paul in that way?
1: Uh, well, connection, of course. I mean, people have no idea unless they wear that yoke. Um, Really, what that life is all about, and obviously, when I was ordained at 25, I, I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, in a sense, I, you know, I can speak it, and I can, but to live it is a whole different world. And um, but the, the comfort I think one of Paul is doing here, not only is this inspired by the Holy Spirit to say these words uh, that Luke is recording, uh, is also sharing with, with fellow future pastors as well. So he's passing this information down to them yeah he's he's sending himself as a role model uh but he also reminds him elsewhere i'm I'm the chief of sinners <laughs> so um so even though we think of paul as being this um you know i can't- i can relate to peter better than paul A lot of people say that, but uh, paul's got this zeal and it's it's really uh, we can get it y'all you know, you know, we're doing this personality profile thing um i forgot uh is it um that are, are, Intentional in term church here. I forgot the name of it right now off the hand, but uh, kind of give give different personalities. And Paul definitely has that that zeal uh, that comes out for sure. But he's sharing that I didn't take you know I didn't take a salary. I you know and um, all these different things I've gone through, and uh, just saying how important the gospel is, and this is how important the gospel is to you as well. He as shares that.
0: Yeah, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in Jesus. So, yeah, I mean, he said he came, he endured these trials, but he didn't shrink away. You know, he continued in public. To Jews and Greeks, even we think of the Jews often being the ones who are kind of looking to run Paul out, but plenty of the Greeks weren't happy with him either. I mean, he was essentially an atheist because he didn't believe in their pantheon of gods. He he rolls in and he has some interesting ways about him, but still he's denying all their gods and all their ways. So it's not like the Jews were the only ones who were kind of after the Christians. So were the pagans. And um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that we still feel today, which is why we look back at Paul and his missionary journeys and all the things that he wrote by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we say, you know, we we cannot say anymore, you know, this stuff really doesn't apply to us today. Nope. I think the more and more we observe the culture, it's regressing back to uh, so that we can really learn from the first century and the way the Christians encountered the culture.
1: Definitely. Yeah. In fact, um, I think we've all had, occasions uh even throughout our ministry but even more recently i think more and more we're here getting of uh, flack i've got some flack for preaching against the current culture different things uh and what my colleagues is as well and this is where we don't shrink back uh we do it in of course in love so our motive is not to be a pharisaical about it as we all hold up god's word i think that's uh, another error we do sometimes uh, we hear People misquote. We shouldn't judge. We shouldn't judge. Well, Jesus says the same measure you judge others will be you be measured by, and that that we measure ourselves by God's word, the mirror of God's law. Uh, All of us are measured by that, so we're not self-righteously judging. We're holding up God's word. This is what it says, and Paul didn't shrink from that at all.
0: No, and and as you have intimated, neither should we. It's It's tough, you know, as we look at how Paul is meeting all this resistance, where do we see him finding comfort and encouragement? And of course, obviously from God himself, certainly from the scriptures, which he knows even from being a Pharisee, but we see him getting comfort from, well, these elders, from his traveling companions, most of them, <laughs> from the people he meets along the way. I mean, it's fellow Christians that he's built relationships with. So even Paul, who we think of is, you know, spending a year here, spending a few months there, spending three years here, but he's always on the go for Christ, but he's always on the go, but he's not neglecting the gathering of saints. And I think that's yep. also super important for us to remember. If we're, if we're looking to uh, meet the culture where they are to proclaim Christ, we're going to need some help. And I think that's why it's important that he builds those relationships.
1: Yeah. Amen. That's uh, a blessing that we have even today, even more than Paul did a blessing in a vein, um, you know, our cell phones and our access to various media where we can fellowship with people, not maybe not in person, but I can give my friend a call who's serving a church in Iowa and just went through the same thing. I went through um, the the situation I was in and uh, there's, Mutual comfort. Of course, we got our circuit um, meetings and so forth. But uh, there's also some brothers that we fellowshiped and went through the years of seminary with, or you know, served in different parts of the country with that we have a bond with, uh, and even our families have a bond with them. So we can um, fellowship, and that's uh, a blessing that Paul had. But I think we can take advantage of that as well uh, in our culture. Not be a there's no such thing as that, you know, even Tonto had, long, even Long Ranger had Tonto, think <laughs> so there's no, no lone, lone Ranger in the ministry.
0: <laughs> right, yeah, you just, you can't survive that way. Well, i tell you what, why don't we take a few moments to rest and relax and listen to these messages, but folks, don't go anywhere, because we'll be back, and we're going to keep on going through Acts chapter 20. See you on the other side. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. And with me today is the Reverend Dr. Vernon Went Interim, Interim, Intentional Interim Pastor <laughs> of Messiah Lutheran Church in Mounds View, Minnesota. All right. Intentional Interim Pastor. Is that right, brother? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Good. Well, I'm glad you're there. We had to make that correction. Uh, But before we get back into the text, I just want to take this chance to say, friends, it is always a blessing to be in God's Word. I'm especially blessed that I have each of you with us here this morning as we study the book of Acts. And, uh, you know, I just I love hearing from you, too. I'm happy to answer any questions you have. And so you can reach out to me by email at PastorBoo at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Facebook. You can drop me a note just to say hi if you want. And when you do, let me know where you're listening from and how you connect to the show. I say this because there are so many different ways that you can connect and keep connected to Thy Strong Word. You can listen to it on the air on AM 850 in the St. Louis area or as a podcast through your favorite podcasting platform. You can listen online, live streaming or on demand at kfuo.org or through the KFUO radio app on your phone. So many ways to be in the Bible and join with friends like my friend today, the Reverend Dr. Vernon Went. So, Pastor, getting back to the text, you know, actually, before we continue with the, the, the thread that we were already following before the break on Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders, um, one thing I neglected to say or bring up when we were talking about Eutychus, is that you wrote a paper on Eutychus and connected it to youth leadership or youth ministry. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, youth ministry.
1: Well, um, yeah, I connected uh, our Eutychus to today's youth and uh, what's going on with today's youth and um, how we might um, not raise our youth from the dead, but uh, as we're we're losing our youth in our churches and why we're doing that, uh, some of the factors that are involved with that, and I think uh, my article really emphasizes the gift that we have as a confessional church, uh, instilling our youth in the truths of God's word um, in a culture that is asking what is truth. We just had a conversation with one of my leadership council chairmen um, yesterday. Uh, this guy identifies himself as a Christian, uh, and yet he's saying, "But I have my meta, you know, I have my reality, and they have their reality." and we're just discussing afterwards, you know, there's only one reality. It's it's God's reality. Um, And this is what we have to instill in our youth. And this ongoing catechesis that's really essential um, to keeping our youth in the church and where they can find the means of grace and uh, an ongoing love for the church in today's culture. So I think um, we have the gifts we have the the teachings to um instill in our youth today especially um in a culture where we're losing uh youth to our churches and what that means today so um if you want to pick that up it's in lutheran missionary matters so self, you know kind of shameless self-promotion here um, no it's great it. i could I, I can do that too so <laughs> if paul did it, i can do it um november <laughs> 2019 um and uh, uh mission uh, lutheran missionary matters um Raising as a model for youth ministry, based on Acts 27-12. through 12. So thank Excellent. you for asking about
0: that. Yeah, no, great, because I'm just looking through it, and you know, you have aspects such as servanthood and vulnerability and commitment and affirming God's call and recognizing our time and history. Lots of good stuff. You know, I'm a big catechesis, especially a lifelong catechesis proponent. So uh, yeah, thanks yeah. for writing that. But, you know, I'm back to our text. preparing confirmation class for this fall, so glad you that. <laughs> Oh, I'm telling you. Well, back to our text. So, so, you know, Paul has, you know, already had that exciting time. And, you know, when we read this section, it really is kind of like, you know, come for Paul boring a guy to death, but stay for the overall message, which is yeah. Paul is making his way to Jerusalem. He's he's finishing things up. And we mentioned before the break how he's called some of these relationships, these people, these friends and presbyters and deacons, these elders of the church who he's left in charge in Ephesus. But he spent so much time there, he's gotten an affinity for these guys. But as you said, he's also, uh, uh, he sees in them the future of the church. And so even though he doesn't want to get caught up in Ephesus for lots of reasons, he calls them to him. And that's where we ended, because he said, uh, let's see here, in verse 25, and now, behold, I know that none of you, among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. So that's kind of where we, we stopped. Um, Paul says he's completed his, his responsibilities to the Ephesians, I suppose. He's, he's making this statement because, I guess, his work in Ephesus is done. But you can't help but get the idea that he also senses something bad happening in Jerusalem. Let's pick it up there. Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, well of course he's he's uh, anticipating the, the sufferings that's going to take place in uh, the Church of Jerusalem. So um, yeah, even though um, I have a little footnote in my Lutheran Study Bible that, that uh, Paul is offering his own opinion here, he did return to Ephesus later on. See note in First Timothy one three. So. We can look at that later on. But uh, in a sense, he may not see some of these people again because we we never know when we say our goodbyes to people, you know, the day. But uh, in a sense, we're saying we're always saying see you later, you know, even when we're um, going to heaven. But um, there is a a definite idea that he's going to suffer and uh, you may not see these people again. So he's pouring out his heart to them and his ministry to them.
0: Well, let's see what happens next. I'm going to read starting at verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, Now, I'm going to pause there. In fact, I'm probably going to you know, read that again in a minute. But just this little section right here, he says, I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Um, Tell us about that, right? I mean, why is it if he had not covered the counsel of God, he might be guilty of shedding blood? I guess that seems to be what he's saying.
1: Yeah. I mean, basically, he's, he's saying, I, I gave you what? all the counsel of God. So if, if I did not, if I did not share that, then, um, yeah, the, the guilt would be upon him. Um, later on, we have reference to the blood of Christ. Uh, so there's kind of this guilt blood, uh, analogy and, um, we can stretch that a limit, but, uh, he's, he's saying that I'm, and they, they could shed innocent blood too, you know, in, in, in uh, in a sense for their, for not having the whole counsel of God or, or, or even if they, it's kind of a kind of a duel there. Because if they if they share the whole counsel of God, they may die a martyr's death. If they don't share the counsel of God, um, they may be innocent in this life, but they're guilty of Christ's blood, sin against Christ's blood, by not sharing the whole counsel of God, shirking that duty.
0: Well, and shirking that duty is what I was thinking about too. Because if you don't proclaim, th- I think of the texts that say, you know, if. If I tell you to warn a sinner against his ways and you don't, his blood's on your hands. So that sort of yep. thing too, where where if he were to sh- to shirk his duty, if he were to not pro- proclaim the entire the whole counsel of God, that is just maybe the Jesus loves you stuff, or maybe just the you have to live this way stuff. You know, to basically not proclaim Christ's messages in its entirety is to not preach the whole counsel of God. We talk about that in sermons. And typically we mean like a, a man who maybe only preaches his pet topics. Maybe he only likes to talk about certain things. And that's the only thing he ever preaches on. He's not preaching the counsel of God. Even if he does a good law gospel sermon, if you're not proclaiming all the principles of that God has revealed, then you're really shortchanging people. That's what he's talking about here, is it not?
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's, uh, you know, that's, I just, Drop in Bible study the other day. Well, Pastor, aren't we concerned that just people go to heaven? Well, we are, of course. We're talking about different subjects, of, and um, we're going to turn the for Confession right now. But ultimately, if we don't declare the whole truth of God's Word, uh, we're setting people up to possibly lose their salvation because if they question one part of God's Word, they may question that ultimate part of God's Word that we're justified by God's grace through faith alone. So uh, we have to preach the whole gospel of God. That's what we're. That's, that's part of the, our our duties as pastors,
0: yeah, Oh no, absolutely, and we can't you know when, when I was going to uh church as a kid, uh typically there were no lectionaries, and I think lifelong lutherans or yeah. or Catholics or Episcopalians for that matter, anybody who has a lectionary, I think takes it for granted, so when I was growing up the the preachers often talked about ex, um you know, what we might call expositionary preaching, just sort of explaining what the Bible says, but they would do it extemporaneously. There's another word where they would just sort of open the Bible and wherever the Holy Spirit wanted them to preach, it would fall there. And I couldn't help but notice, though, that those Bibles would always just sort of fall open to whatever their pet issue was anyway. The Holy Spirit always seemed to be very close in concert with what the pastor cared about. But the lectionary forces us to proclaim a whole council of God. So I'm sure it's not exactly what Paul's talking about. He's not using a lectionary, for instance, but he's righteously boasting, if I can use that word, of the fact that he did not shortchange the message. He spoke over everything they needed to know to continue the work of the gospel. He taught them the whole council of God. And so Mm -hmm. they're to go on and do that. That's why it's so important because – we're really all links in a chain. And if we mm-hmm. corrupt the message even on one link, it has, has consequences from then on, which is why I think Paul says in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to your, blo- uh, your flock because you've been made an overseer, the church of God, because I know that fierce wolves are going to come in among you. From among yeah. your own selves will arise mm-hmm. men, twisted things. So it's not just the, the concern about the wolves who are going to come in. But also they should be concerned about their own teaching to make sure that they are teaching according to the counsel of God. But boy, mm-hmm. brother, I, I, I'm sure in your, your experienced ministry, uh, I know in my limited experience, um, I've met a lot of those fierce wolves. And sometimes mm-hmm. they're parishioners, sometimes they're outsiders, sometimes they're other pastors who've gone astray. And then I have to keep an eye on myself, too. It's just part of the job, isn't it?
1: Sure, and that, that's another uh, point that's well made. I can point people to people like you uh, as a Bible. You know, if people are looking forward to supplement their studies, if I know somebody that's sharing the counsel of God's Word, I can say, hey, why don't you consider tuning in to Phil Buies by Strong Word during the week, or you know, somebody that is sharing the gospel in addition to what you're hearing on Sunday and uh, on Sunday morning Bible class or during the week. There are other ways to supplement our faith, but the, the danger we have to warn people about is there's so much information out there that is false information. And, uh, you know, oh, the, yeah. Josh McDowell used this analogy. How do you, tell, uh, how do you tell, teach a banker how to tell uh, counterfeit money? Well, by handling the real thing. And so the more right. we handle the real thing and, and the correct catechesis, as you just mentioned, uh, you say, that, that doesn't sound right. And we want to equip our students when they go off to college and they're hearing different things as well and all our members because during the week they're competing we're competing with a lot of different ideas out there, even within the
0: church. But you make such a good point because if it can happen even among the brethren, if if you know, you can start If you you can find men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples, right? that's the words that he used. If that can happen even within the context of the church, it's even more possible or susceptible for all the information that's out there in the world. As you said, you can hop online, and you can find pretty much anybody out there agreeing with what you agree with if you look. Yeah. So that's why it's – yeah, so yeah, and even even something like Thy Strong Word, it's only valuable in so much as, as you said, you've had the real thing, and you can measure what's said on this program or any other program against what the Scriptures teach. And the best way to know what the Scriptures teach is to be in them, but also to be a part of a congregation where you're being built up in the faith. So uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. The, I think the primary area – That people need to be brought up in the faith, of course, is the home, but how do they get equipped? And that is through the church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So if you have a faithful church, and that's, uh, I was blessed with that in uh, Kentucky, you know, it was kind of a non LCMS territory. I had people that were driving in from various parts of the area to come to our church because they got online and say, hey, you know, they were listening to programs like yourself or podcast yourself, where do I find a Missouri Synod Church? And um, not to pat ourselves in the back, say we we're all that, because we have our own issues, but right. uh, if we're holding forth to the doctrines that we agreed on when we were ordained, um, this is what we are reportedly to, to oversee and correct, you know, preach and teach according to.
0: Right, you're not going to get something hopefully, dramatically different. You're not going to get something dramatically different by going to the LCMS church down the road. At least you shouldn't be. Correct. Um, Certainly, there's different styles, and there are different uh, methods of proclamation that maybe pastors undertake, and there's different ways of teaching the Bible. But when it comes to the core content, um, yeah, you should be able to... the, The theory is you should be able to go to any LCMS church in the world or any other congregation in which we have fellowship and find the true doctrine being taught there. Now... Does that mean that we never make mistakes? Of course, we do make mistakes. Um, but I, I like your analogy earlier, though. The more the more exposed you are, though, to true doctrine, the easier you'll be able to sort it when you hear it. Because you might be in an LCMS church, and and maybe uh, you do hear something that's not correct, and you and you cur- you find out. Well, maybe it's because you know uh, you misunderstood it, or maybe they just misspoke, and you have that. You see, instead of always being on the the, the the edge of trying to accuse somebody of something, we should be helping one another out. But yeah, the, yeah. the, the more you're in the Word, the more you're able to do that. Well, mm-hmm. and, he, and he points to his own self, of course, but again, not out of pride except for the pride of being able to suffer for Christ. And he says, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I'm going to finish. I coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul, and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So that ends our text for today. But yeah, they they walk him to the ship. They're crying, they're praying, they're hugging, they're sad they're not going to see him again. But kind of in the middle of it, Paul brings up something he's brought up before, and that is... These hands ministered to my own needs. He he seems to always, I don't want to say to be on the defensive, but he's always having to, or at least feels compelled to, defend the fact that he's not taking advantage of them. He's working for their good, for the Lord Jesus. Is this because Mm -hmm. Paul is constantly carrying around the guilt and sorrow? Maybe guilt's not the right word, but the sorrow over how he persecuted the Christians, and he's always... Kind of feeling that they're not going to accept him, or maybe they aren't accepting him. How do, how do we understand yeah, his well, attitude?
1: Paul often um, throughout the you know the New Testament uh, in his uh, epistles and so forth, he had to uh, authenticate his apostleship. He would often share his testimony. He was called uh, you know by you know, had encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, and um, so that's I think that was one of the um, challenges of his ministry. Said, Who are you? You're the one that was also against the church, so I think there is a humanness in there, but of course these words are inspired by the Holy Spirit, too, so there's also a um, uh, uh, a Holy Spirit directed to say, hey, Paul is a legitimate apostle, and uh, he is a model for all of us to hold up to what God can do uh, and how he can transform the chief of sinners into the arguably the chief of the saints next to Jesus.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And this, it's more, it's more blessed to give than to receive though. Boy, I've heard that used out of context (laughs) plenty of times. Um, What is he talking about? What was Jesus talking about when he first said it? I mean, surely this isn't, he's not just throwing out some sort of little proverb. This is connected to what he's been saying.
1: Right all our, right our, you know, our American thought well if i if i give i'm going to get that much back
0: um right, return on investment our <laughs>
1: yeah the, the the seed faith um teaching of the prosperity gospel people that or roberts i think was the original person of that um yeah. there is there is a huge cuz you know the, the bible says you'll give without expecting anything in return the idea is that um god is we we are given to the source of our blessings And we trust him to take care of all our needs, no matter what. We're not dictating, okay, God, I gave you my tithe this week, and you're supposed to bless me with more money. Uh, He's going to bless us in the ways that he sees fit. And sometimes those blessings come in disguises as well, Um, whether it's um, suffering for our faith, uh, whether it's going through hardship to bring us closer to Jesus. We just trust him to bless us the way he sees fit as the source of all our blessings
0: well and it's worth pointing out by the way that nowhere in the gospels do we have jesus actually saying this phrase the closest we come is is matthew chapter 10 verse 8 jesus says heal the sick raise the dead cleanse lepers cast out demons you receive without paying give without pay but um it doesn't mean jesus didn't say it of course we believe what paul says in fact we know Mm -hmm. that jesus said a ton of things that aren't recorded in scripture uh, but it 's kind of neat to have this it 's almost like a bonus teaching of Jesus because it 's nowhere you know,
1: it's interesting say that because you know when I read that I also said oh where, where's that in the Gospels but then you're correct Jesus said a lot of things that you know i I think John at the end of his gospel said if, if all things were recorded there wouldn 't be enough you know books in all the world to record everything that Jesus all his miracles and teachings um, and we have you know in contrast to uh Muhammad. If you're familiar with the you know, that's hadith, with all these things that supposedly he did outside of the book um, of Quran, uh, we don't have those sayings. And if we did, our faith would not be founded on those sayings unless they were authenticated by the apostolic church. I
0: think there's a lot of good reasons why we don't have that. To be honest, uh, because even if they were accurate, it, it would be really hard to. I guess not emphasize, overemphasize that. Here's what I'm trying to say, because I obviously don't mm-hmm. want to yeah. be blasphemous. But how often do we have people that have, like, say, a red-letter edition of the Bible, and it's like, well, the red letters are more important than the rest, <laughs> or what Jesus right. says right. is more important. Or even, dare I say, we can sit for the Old Testament and the Gospel, but we have to stand for, I mean, I mean, the Old Testament and the Epistle, but we have to stand for the Gospel. It's like, well, it's all God's Word, and it's yeah. all equally uh, authoritative. But anyway, yeah. So it's probably good because otherwise, I think there would be groups of people, and just as there are today, that would only pay attention to the red text. But correct. Anyway, correct. and there's it I is mean, more. Yeah, but what, yeah, what more, Jesus said is so powerful. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll just gonna say more blessed to give than to receive is. You're right. It's a powerful message, uh, not just about you know encouraging people to. Donate. It's a, it's about yeah. and receiving and the blessing of
1: give, The blessing of being able to give. There's a lot of people. Uh, we have, we're ministering to a young lady right now. that's in transition and she's living out of a grocery cart, basically, with a seven-year-old daughter. She doesn't have that blessing to give that we have.
0: Right. You know, and that's her. a yeah. That's actually a little angle I hadn't considered. Right. Because if you're yeah. in the position to give, then you're blessed, and of course, you should do it for God's will, which is to give. All right, well, yeah, that's good. That's good. Of course. Well, anyway, so they were all sorrowful because he was, at, you know, he was heading out and he's going to be heading to Jerusalem next. Brother, we're towards the end of the program. Anything else from this text that you want the people to know? Maybe something we skipped or, or anything at all mm-hmm. that people should take true, away from yeah. well, our discussion? I, I don't
1: remember leaving my seminary with tears after three, well, three years intensive in a bigger vicarage this way, but. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but, um, anyway, um. Well, it's just I mean, again, especially on a hot day like today, if you're in the central America right now or in the southwest part of America, if you're listening. Um, this is a really good type of reviving the spirit type of thing. Just the the, the zeal that Paul had that just comes out, and you can't you can't stop uh, what the Holy Spirit is bringing out. His personality is there, his words are there, um, and uh, you know later on I, I wrote on athletics and. Uh, Even though Paul probably was not an athlete, uh, given his bodily stature, plus he was circumcised, he drew a lot of analogies through athletics. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I ran cross country at Pope College in Holland, Michigan, we had a poster. Paul was a four-minute miler because he just had that zeal um, to uh, press on like an athlete of God.
0: Well, that's a, that's a good place for us to leave it because we are at the end. But I'd like to okay. thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Dr. Vernon Wendt. Thank intentional... you for having me once again, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, I just yeah. just want to get your creds out there. You're the intentional interim pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. We'll have him on again, folks. Tomorrow right. in, in Chapter 21, Paul persists in his journey to Jerusalem despite the warnings of danger. But when he gets there, he faces tensions with believers— because of his association with Gentiles. So, accused of teaching against Jewish customs, Paul then makes a decision to undergo a temple purification ritual, which foreshadows quite a few significant events, but we'll cover that tomorrow. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all. As we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.